Good to see everyone this morning. Again, God has blessed us with another beautiful Lord's Day to be alive, to be able to come and to assemble uh, and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Good to see our visitors. We thank you for being here and hope that you'll come be with us at every opportunity that you may have. Also, I'd like to say to the Paines how much I'm thankful for them and for their uh, love for God and their desire to do His will. I've told y'all over and over again, my dad used to tell me if you uh, would give him a thousand people that had hearts like Lydia, then he would baptize a thousand people. Well, the studies that we've had together have been some of the most enjoyable that I've ever had. Uh, it was very easy to see very early on that their hearts were ready and it was time for them to become Christians and to put Christ first. And so when you find people whose hearts are right, who really want to do the Lord's will, the studies go very well indeed. And so we uh, wish them the best in their future life, and I know they will go forth and do what they can to bring glory and honor to God Almighty. This morning we want to continue our series that is titled, Jesus, the Theme of the Bible. We want to go through the Bible, and we're going to look to see if Jesus is there, which of course we will find that he will be there. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus is the theme of the Bible because he is God's cure his remedy, and his answer for man's number one problem, which is sin. That's what we talked about last week. Man has a problem. That problem is sin. That is the main problem that man has. And without Jesus Christ, there would be no cure. There would be no remedy. God sent his son to die upon the cross that man might have an answer to his sin problem. So from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where sin entered into the world, the first sin, to Revelation 22, verse 21, one can see God's plan for saving man as it unfolds, and once it had unfolded, seeing people being saved by the one plan that God provided for mankind. So by the time we finish this series, when it is completed, we will have seen Jesus in the law of Moses, we will see Jesus in the Psalms, and we will see Jesus in the Proverbs, and then we'll also, I mean in the prophets, and then we'll also see Jesus in the New Testament. That will be our last lesson. So let's go to our Bibles and let's see if we can find Jesus and the law of Moses, and we're going to really go back to Genesis as well, and we're going to look at the five books that Moses wrote, the Pentateuch, and we're going to see Jesus way back there in the Old Testament. Many times we have read these stories, these passages, and we fail to see Jesus there. It's like he was concealed in a sense, but when we get to the New Testament, it is made more plain to us that God was teaching about Jesus all the way back at the very beginning. And so Jesus in the book of Genesis. 
soon as that sin is committed, we see a mention of Jesus in promise. It's not real easy to see at first, but as you study the entirety of the Bible, then it becomes very evident that that's what the Holy Spirit had in mind. After man sinned, and God is talking to Satan, after Satan has deceived the woman, and he talks about her seed. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, God, I will put enmity, hatred, hostility, between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed, the seed of Satan, and her seed, the seed of woman. It, that's her seed, shall bruise thy head, Satan's head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Several years ago when I was working at Westinghouse, one of my friends said, was telling me about how he hated snakes, but how that he tried to do exactly what the Bible said. He told me, he said, I saw a snake the other day and I killed that thing. And he said, the Bible says that man is going to dash the head of all snakes. I thought, where does the Bible say that? And then I remembered this passage, and I thought, oh, you have totally missed that. That's not what that's talking about at all. Really, that's talking about Christ bruising the head of Satan, which took place on the cross. You see, when Jesus died upon the cross, he dealt the death blow to the wicked one. But he had to die upon the cross, and so in that sense, his heel was bruised. Notice some passages such as Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 22. Jeremiah writes to the people of God, and of course, they're in captivity, and he says, How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A new thing, something different. I thought Solomon said there was nothing new under the sun. Well, this was new. A woman shall come... Compass a man. What that means is, and I'll show you a few more verses, she's going to go around a man to conceive a child. Without the help of a man, she's going to conceive seed. That would be a descendant, okay? Notice what the Bible says. When you go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. You need a sign? He's going to give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Notice the word virgin used there. That's a woman that had never known a man, had never slept with a man. This has never been heard of before. But it was prophesied way before it happened. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We get to Matthew chapter 1, we have the account of what happened. Uh, and in verse 23, the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then in verse 25, you'll notice the Bible says, And knew her not, that is, Joseph knew not Mary, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and had called his name Jesus. 
You remember at first he was somewhat confused because Mary was pregnant and he knew he had not been with her. And so he was about to put her away privately when the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream and said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So she conceived with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not a man. That was the new thing that was going to happen. That's why it says the seed of woman in Genesis 3.15 and not the seed of man. And so all the way back in Genesis 3.15, we read about Jesus being the seed of woman. He's also known as the seed of Abraham. Now remember, Jesus is the son of God and the son of man. And Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. Now watch this. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, in Abraham would all the families of the earth be blessed. What's he talking about? Well, it is mentioned several times that he was talking about in the seed of Abraham. In Acts chapter Acts 3, verse 25, the Bible says, And ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, What did he say? In thy seed, in thy seed, shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. But what is that talking about? In thy seed, in the seed of Abraham. Well, let's let the Bible tell us what the Bible means. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, and he said, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says, Not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, what's the seed of Abraham? which is Christ. So when we read about all nations being blessed of the seed of Abraham, the seed that he had in mind was Jesus the Christ, who was a descendant of Abraham. Now the blessings he's talking about are spiritual, leading to our everlasting life if we're faithful unto the end. And so all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we read about Jesus, the seed of woman. Genesis 12, Jesus the seed of Abraham. And then you remember the story where Sarah, Abraham's wife, could not conceive. Well, in her old age, because of God, she's able to conceive when Abraham said of himself that his body, as far as that part goes, reproducing, was as good as dead. And so they raised up this child of promise, Isaac, and you remember... In Genesis 22, God told Abraham to take his son Isaac into the land of Moriah. And there in the land of Moriah, he was to take him up on a mountain and build an altar and sacrifice his son unto God as a living sacrifice. Well, you remember Abraham got up very early in the morning and he took his son, he took everything he needed and he went into that land, he went up on that mountain and you remember his son asked him after he mentioned, Father, I see the, the fire and all these different things, but he said, where's the lamb? 
And you remember Abraham said, my son, God shall provide. Well, he takes his son up there. He binds his son as a sacrificial lamb. He's about to take his life when the angel of the Lord stays his hand. And notice what happens as you see that picture, the scenery. In Genesis 22, verse 13, the Bible says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. You see that ram right there? A lot of times we may just look over that ram that was provided. You see, instead of God allowing Abraham to sacrifice his son as a sacrifice, God stopped that. He was testing Abraham's faith, but also he was teaching about the true Lamb of God. You see, that ram that was caught in the thicket was provided by God. That ram represented Jesus the Christ in Genesis 22. So when you see that ram, you see Christ because that's what it represents. How do you know that? Well, many passages. But you remember in John chapter 1, verse 29, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold, notice this, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2, God is teaching man about his son being sacrificed as a lamb on an altar. All those sacrifices represented Jesus, the Christ, who would one day come into this world, live a sinless life, and then be sacrificed by God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it continues. But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, and so that sacrificial ram or lamb that we saw back in Genesis 22 represented Jesus, the Christ, who would eventually die on the cross of Calvary, shed his blood for the sins of the world. When we get to Genesis chapter 49, we read about the different leaders of the, the children of Israel, those tribes, and some things about them. And, and when we get to Judah, we notice that he's represented as a lamb, the lamb of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, verse 8 through 10. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, Shiloh is the Messiah, by the way, come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. All the way back there in Genesis chapter 49, it's talking about a lion of the tribe of Judah. Who could be the lion of the tribe of Judah? Well, you remember in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, For it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. 
You see, while on earth, Jesus could not be a priest because the priests all came from the tribe of Levi. Well, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And so, therefore, he couldn't be a priest on earth. But he was of the tribe of Judah. Now watch. You remember in Revelation chapter 5 when John sees God sitting upon the throne? He has a book in his hand. It's sealed with seven seals. And there's no man, heaven, earth, or anywhere that's worthy to take the book out of the hand of God and to open those seals so that the blessings could come from the book. And as he begins to weep, he's told by an elder uh, in chapter 5, verse 5, he said, weep not. Behold, notice this, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, descendant of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Who was that that came into the scene? And he goes on to say, uh, as a lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the earth. That was Jesus. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 49, we, we're really learning about Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so we see Jesus is mentioned several times in the book of Genesis, not mentioned as Jesus, but in types and promises and prophecy. But what about Jesus in the book of Exodus? Is he in there too? You remember the Passover lamb? You remember when God's people were in slavery in Egypt and God brought the plagues upon the Egyptians and eventually you get to the tenth plague and the tenth plague God has promised Pharaoh that he's going to kill the firstborn of all uh, who did not have the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts and lentils of their houses. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 through 23, the Bible says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood that is in the basin, and strike the lentils and the two posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. And so God and his people were instructed to take the Passover lamb, to kill it, and to put the blood on their doorposts and all of their house. And so when the time came that God came through, he was going to slay all those that did not have the blood, the firstborn. And so you remember that's exactly what happened. And all those of Egypt, because they didn't have the blood, their firstborn, even of their beast, the firstborn beast, uh, were killed. And so you have that Passover lamb. What is the Passover lamb? Notice, uh, verse 23, it goes on to say in that same text, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lentils and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And they faithfully did exactly what they were commanded. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we learn what the Passover represented, that Passover lamb. If you go to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, the Bible says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. So when you go back to Egypt and you see the Israelites killing their Passover lamb, and they place the blood on their houses, well, that was teaching Jesus the whole time. You see, we've got to be covered by the blood of Christ. 
He is our Passover. And without the blood of Christ, we won't make it. And so we must have the blood of Christ and be in that blood to be saved from our sins. And then, you remember when they were in the wilderness, God fed them with bread from heaven, manna. Exodus 16, verse 4, the Bible says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And the bread just kept coming. They kept eating of that bread. That's how they were able to live as they traveled through that wilderness for 40 years. But what, what did that re bread represent? Who did it represent? Was it a type of something? In John chapter 6, verse 48 through 51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You see, the bread they were eating in the wilderness was giving them life. Without that bread, they would have died. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he refers back to that time, and he says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. They ate that bread and died. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And so all the way back there, why, why was God raining down? What was that all about? Raining down bread from heaven. All the way back there, he was teaching about how that he would one day send the bread of life to give salvation unto man. That represented Jesus in the book of Exodus. The bread of life. You remember when they wanted water? From where did they get their water? It was from a rock. A rock. Well, what does that have to do with anything? In Exodus 17, verse 6, the Bible says, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of the city, of the, uh, Israel. And you remember, once he smote the rock, that stream of water came out of the rock, and the people drank and had plenty to drink from that rock. Well, what was that all about? Just about, is that just some story for us to be impressed with God that, he can make water come from a rock, or does it have some type of a meaning? Was it symbolic of something, or a type of something? Well, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he said, talking about those people in the wilderness, using them as an example, and did all drink of that same spiritual rock, for they drank of the spirit, uh, same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ Christ in the book of Exodus he smote the rock water came out that water provided life it was living water without that water they would have perished in the wilderness but God provided bread from heaven and God provided water from a rock but those are not just stories with no meaning. 
with no purpose. You remember in Numbers chapter 20, verse 11, the Bible says, And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. Now, there was a problem with that. Notice this. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 8, the Bible says, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and the beast to drink. Now, these are two different occasions. The first time God said to Moses, you go out there and you smite that rock, and it will give water. The second time he said, now go speak to the rock. But what did Moses do? He went out there and he smote the rock two times. And then if you remember, he said, must we, here now you rebels, must we fetch you water? You see, the problem was the rock was not to ever be smitten but one time because that rock represented Jesus Christ who would be smitten only one time. Moses sinned by smiting the rock two more times when God had instructed him to only speak to the rock because the rock had already been smitten the first time. Well, that rock represented Christ, remember? And you, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, there are many other passages, the Bible says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins. He's been smitten. He was only to be smitten one time. He was smitten more than once as that rock represented him by Moses in the wilderness, but in true life he was only smitten once. Once and for all times. He's not coming back to this earth to suffer and die a second time. And so we find Jesus in the book of Exodus as the Passover lamb, as the manna that came down from heaven, as the rock that gave water. What about in the book of Leviticus? Jesus in the book of Leviticus. Well, he's the high priest in Leviticus. The high priest represents Jesus of today. In Leviticus 21, verse 10, the Bible says, And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, that is, consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. We read a lot about the high priest. You remember Aaron, the, son of, uh, the, uh, the brother of Moses, was the first high priest uh, and, uh, to, to serve in that capacity instead of Moses because Aaron was the older brother and so he was the one to be the high priest. When we get over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So the high priest of the Old Testament represented the high priest today, which is Jesus Christ. The high priest then was the only one who was able and allowed to go into the most holy place in the tabernacle. The rest of the priests could not go into the most holy place. Guess where Jesus is today? The most holy place in the tabernacle represented 
heaven. And Jesus today, our high priest, is in heaven on the right hand of the Father. And so as you study about the high priest in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, remember that's teaching about Jesus the Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with about verse 24. Notice what it said about Christ. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the truth. It's a figure, it's a type of the truth. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, he wasn't going to offer himself many times, as a high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The great high priest that we now have is in the most holy place, sitting on the right hand of his father. But also in the book of Leviticus, on the day of atonement, once a year, there were sacrifices offered. There were two goats chosen. I'll read a little bit of this to you. In Leviticus chapter 16, beginning with verse 7, notice the instructions that were given to Aaron for that day. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat unto the Lord upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Okay, and so... He was to select two goats without spot, without blemish. He was to cast lots to see which one would be sacrificed and which one would be used as the scapegoat. So the first one is the sin offering. The first goat. That's in verse 15 and 16. Notice how what's to be done with the first one. Then shall he kill the goat of the, sin, uh, of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions in all their sins. 
and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And so that's what would happen to the atonement, uh, the sin offering uh, goat. But then you've got the one that is uh, also the scapegoat. But before we go to the scapegoat, I want you to notice something that the book of Hebrews says about the sin offering, the one that would be offered as the sin offering. In Hebrews 13, verse 11 and 12, he goes to the New Testament and he talks about that that happened back there. He said, for the bodies of those beasts, the sin offering beasts offered on the Day of Atonement, was blood, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, with his own blood, suffered without the gate. So you know where they crucified Jesus? Outside the city. You see, that atonement sacrifice, that goat that was offered for the sins of the people, was carried outside of the city. His body was burned, and so was Jesus, taken outside the city to be crucified. Matthew 27, verse 31. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on and led him away to crucify him. Just like that goat. Now the scapegoat. Leviticus 16, verse 20 and 22. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So, not only did the goat that was killed and his blood sprinkled everywhere represent Jesus, the goat that the high priest laid his hands on his head and confessed all the sins of the people and then he was led off into the wilderness, that also represented Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, notice this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. God made Jesus to be sin for us. Not that he became a sinner, but he became an offering for sin, an atonement for sin, a sacrifice for sin. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now watch. And the Lord hath laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Just as Aaron symbolically laid all the sins of the people upon the heads of that goat, God laid all of our sins upon Jesus Christ. He is the sin offering. He is the scapegoat of the book of Leviticus. What about Numbers? Well, we find them in the book of Numbers as well. 
In Numbers chapter 21, you remember how the people had murmured and complained against God and against his leaders? In the wilderness, they did that time and time and time again. They, they could not be satisfied. They could not be made happy for very long until they murmured and complained. Beginning with verse 4 of Numbers 21, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people were much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathed this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents, poisonous serpents, among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Well, that's an interesting story, isn't it? The people sin against God. God sends in fiery serpents, and the people are dying right and left. They have a change of heart. They ask Moses to make intercession for them. He does. And God says to Moses, you make a serpent of brass. You put it on a pole. They look to him in faith, believing then they will not die from these poisonous snake bites. Notice what Jesus does with the same story. In John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we know what he's talking about, Numbers chapter 21. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, that brazen serpent that was placed upon that pole represented Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. They had to look to that brazen serpent, believing in faith, in order to be healed from those snake bites. And today man must look to Jesus on the cross. All the way back there, God was teaching Jesus in those stories, those events, those things that took place in the Old Testament time. And then in Numbers chapter 35, we're probably going to talk more about this one tonight, there were six cities of refuge for the people of God. Verse 13 of Numbers 35, And of these cities which ye shall uh, give, six cities shall ye have for refuge, a place of shelter, a place of safety. It was a place that when a man accidentally killed someone, he could run to one of these cities and he could stay in those, one of those cities and then the avenger of blood could not take his life. But he had to stay in that city. It was really a city of mercy that God had provided. But if he left that city, didn't remain in that city, and the avenger of blood, of the avenger of the person who was uh, accidentally killed, caught him outside the city, then he could take that man's life. So... It was a city of refuge, but they had to, the people had to flee and stay within those cities. Well, 
Kind of sounds like what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Where Paul said, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus. You see, to be in that city, there was safety. To be in Christ Jesus, there's salvation. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our mighty fortress. That's what those cities were teaching. There's safety in the right place. And today, it's to be in Christ Jesus. How does one get into Christ? Galatians 3.27 For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When you're baptized into Christ, you're added to the Lord's church. Acts 2.47 You've got to stay in there. And there's salvation in Christ, in His body, in the church. Ephesians 5 verse 23 For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. That's a place of mercy. Where those within the body of Christ can receive God's grace. Well, what about Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy? At least back there as well. I won't read this passage, but in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 19, it was said back there that God would provide a prophet like unto Moses. And the people were to hear that prophet. Well, that prophet that is talked about in Deuteronomy 18 just so happens to be Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, verse 20 and 22, the Bible says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet, it's a quote, Shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me? Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. So the prophet of Deuteronomy 18 is Jesus the Christ. That's why on Mount Transfiguration, when Peter saw Moses, Elijah, and Christ, Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of that cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Notice this, Hear ye him. God said, Hear him. This is that prophet he was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And that's why in John 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, hath one that judges him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. But he's also the accursed of God in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 and 23, the Bible says, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. Notice, For he that is hanged is accursed of God that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now remember what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, verse 4, when he said, talking about Christ, 
It was prophecy about Christ. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was the accursed of God in Deuteronomy 21 that would be hung upon a tree, that being the old rugged cross. In Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know who should have been on the tree? Who deserved to be on the tree? Who really deserves to be smitten in the curse of God? We do. We do. But God sent His Son to take our place, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so we see Jesus in the Old Testament. We see him now very clearly in the books that were written by Moses. Some of the places we see him, or what we see him as in the book of Genesis, he's the seed of woman and he's the seed of Abraham. He's the sacrificial lamb back there that was given so Abraham would not have to offer Isaac his son upon the cross. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And in the book of Exodus, Jesus is that Passover lamb that was slain so that the people's lives could be spared. He's the bread that came down from heaven, that manna. He's the rock that gave water to give them something to take care of their thirst so that they could live in that old wilderness. In Leviticus, he's the high priest like Aaron. And he's also that sin offering that was offered and his blood was uh, used to sanctify the people and, and the law and everything in the tabernacle. He's also the scapegoat upon whom's head uh, back then the high priest symbolically put the sins of the people and he was led into the wilderness. And so it is that Christ is the one who takes our sins away from us. In the book of Leviticus. In the book of Numbers, he's that brazen serpent that was placed upon that pole for people to look upon and to be healed from those poisonous bites. He's also the cities of refuge where the people could run, they could flee and be safe in those cities of refuge. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the prophet like unto Moses that we've been commanded to hear his words. But he's also the accursed of God that was nailed upon an old rugged cross so that mankind could be saved from his own wicked and terrible sins. Yes, indeed, Jesus is the answer to your sin problem. There's no other answer. No, no animal can be sacrificed for your sins and take care of that problem. There's no law that can be given that would take away that problem. The only answer to man's sin problem is Jesus the Christ. Oh, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He has promised us all a place of safety, a refuge, a shelter. You know the storms of life, they come constantly. And when it comes to the, the spiritual sense, we can all be wrapped up in sin if we're not careful. But you know what? There's a place where we can be cleansed. There's an agent that will cleanse us. That's the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But only will that blood cleanse us if we are in the blood-bought institution called the church. Paul said to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. To be a part of the church of Christ is to be a part of that blood-purchased institution. 
bought and paid for by the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not in that place, that city of refuge right now, we encourage you to enter in the same way all have done by hearing the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, because that's how faith comes. And then by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because without faith it's impossible to please Him. Hebrews eleven six. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. You've got to repent of your sins. You see, when you truly believe in what we've talked about today, what God has provided for us to save us from our own selves and from our own sins, the sacrifice, the price that was paid on Calvary's hill, it should make you want to change your life and to live for Him and to serve Him and to confess with your mouth the sweetest words that you can ever say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Knowing with all of your heart that is a true statement. And then be immersed in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. To be saved from your sins, as Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16. And then remain in the light, 1 John 1.7, so that the blood of Jesus can continually cleanse you. And one day you'll hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. When this life is over, it really gets good in the hereafter. If you're here, remember, Jesus is the answer. There's no need to search for another answer or look anywhere else. He is the answer. If you're here and you need to respond, won't you come? Us together, we stand and sing. Come to